Boston Loose Baseball Episode 3. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, and our producer, Darius Dameron. We're pumped to be back at it. First of two episodes this week. We got this one dropping now and then come back Wednesday night into Thursday. Anytime after that, we'll have a brand new episode for you. Today, we're joined by Kevin Franzen, who is the new color commentator for the Washington Nationals on Masson with Bob Carpenter. Tells some great stories. Really funny guy. Guy we've... I've been working alongside in the media now for many years and remember as a player as well, Danny. Oh, just a grinder, a stud. He's taken to this role really, 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 really well, rather. And I want to make sure you guys know where to find this podcast. Odyssey app, Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, spread the word. We need help keeping this train on the tracks. Yeah, Darius will read our uh, comment of the week from someone who says something nice about the show or us because we need that kind of feedback. Uh, that's how we operate. We're like a car needs Very gas. Needy. We need those kinds of comments read to us to make sure that everything's going okay. Uh, on this podcast, we will break down Patrick Corbin's recent resurgence. How do we feel about the three home runs he gave up against the Astros, though? What in the heck is going on with Steven Strasburg, and will we see him again? Plus, of course, the Kevin Franzen conversation, studs and duds, and a little chatter on the Major League Baseball draft being two months away. It's all coming up, so let's get into it right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Episode 3. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, our producer, Darius Dameron, coming at you live from our Half Street Studios, three blocks from the center field gate where the Nats are no longer playing because they are on the road, beginning a road trip in Miami. This podcast comes to you on Monday night as they play game one of a three-game set against the Fish. The D. Strange Gordon Revenge Tour is on, Danny. 6.40 East time, first pitch is that weird start time in Miami. For the next three days, then the boys are off. And then they're in Milwaukee for three against the Brewers before they come home to take on the Dodgers and the Rockies, little NL West tilts on a homestand. Get this podcast with the one we're listening to right now, wherever you get your podcast, right? Subscribe, review, rate, spread the word, helps us keep this thing going. But yeah, D Strange Gordon had a nice little run down there in Miami, Florida at one point. I think he hit over 300 for his career down there in uh, in, in MIA. But uh, most recently, GP, the thing I wanted to address kind of at the start of the show is Patrick Corbin. I, I don't know how to quantify this. I don't know how to put this the right way here. So, So bear with me. The expectations had gone so low that him being decent over the, his last four starts, including you know the, the stat line that wasn't that kind here his last time out, but overall, do you feel like he's turned a corner, or is this just kind of hey, if we could just get this forever, we'll be okay? Like where are we at on this? Because the expectations went down so you know into the into the pit of Carcoon that he's now rebounded and been fine of late, and we're kind of thrilled at that. Yeah, I think Patrick Corbin. The 2019 version of him that we fell in love with, that guy's probably gone forever. I don't think we're going to get that again. Those days are done. But what you're going to get is, hopefully, a competitive, serviceable, back-of-the-rotation Major League Baseball starter. And he has been that over his last four outings, including his start against Houston on Sunday. His three starts before that were better. He had his lowest ERA, I think it was 237 that he's had in any three-start sample dating back to his 2019 run in Washington. But I actually liked what I saw from him on Sunday. If you look beyond just the box score and the numbers, he was scoreless through four, 
He ended up outpitching Verlander, certainly through three innings of that game where he had barely thrown 30 pitches, and Verlander was up over 60. In the end, he gives up a home run in the fifth after a defensive miscue kind of turned around the inning and got him going sideways. Then he gave up a home run in the sixth as he ran out of some gas, a little two-run shot, and in the end gave up another home run in the seventh. So if he doesn't come out for that seventh inning, it's six innings, it's three earnings, it's a quality start, and we're talking about yet another good outing for Patrick Corbin. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know he had been keeping the ball in the park. It's starting to get warmer. The ball's going to start traveling. And giving up three homers in this start does worry me, the second, third, and fourth of his season. But I think this is actually a a really good sign and really sustainable that at least his slider velocity is firm. It's back where it was prior to the last couple years. And he's no longer the worst pitcher in the league. Like, that's what he'd become. Now I think he might be a back-of-the-rotation guy for the rest of the season. The problem is he started an opening day, and he's kind of the linchpin of the rotation. <laughs> yeah, at this point, right? But but here's the way I, I kind of see this. If he goes – if he's this for the next couple of seasons, even though it's a huge contract, that just turns into the normal, hey, you're paying a tax for a World Series. Right, That happens in sports. It happens in baseball all the time. You pay a guy for his prime, and then you're holding the bag when he's 35, 36, 37 years old. And you know you just sort of deal with that because you got those prime years. You kind of have to wear that in terms of a contract. If he's a fourth or fifth starter, which is what this is over the, his last four starts, I'll take that because 2019 happened. They don't win a World Series without him. You had a couple of rotten years in there. But overall, you you have a very pleasant Patrick Corbin experience when this is all said and done because he takes the ball every fifth day. He's always able to maybe, not always, but can be able to eat some innings and still be a useful major league contributor in theory when this group is ready to compete maybe, you know, God willing, next year, but really two years from now. He could be part of that, and that's something that's encouraging, right? So if you get this, this kind of remade, this 2.0 version uh, of Patrick Corbin, that's fine. I would certainly take that, I think, side unseen, because I'm with you. I think the 2019 version doesn't exist. I don't think that guy's you know in the cards at any point. The hitters tell you the story, right? You look at the at-bats, you watch opponents against him. Last year and in 2020, they were really comfortable. There was no threat to them in the batter's box. You don't see those defensive swings. You see guys spitting on sliders that weren't even close, that start out of the zone and you know bounce or short hop or whatever it is. Now you get some of those swings and misses out of the zone because it looks like a strike for the majority of the time. It's playing off his fastball, which you know is never going to blow you away in terms of velocity, but that 92 gets sneakier when you've seen that slider, that slider snap off away from you if you're a lefty, down and in towards your back foot if you're a right-handed pit, uh, a batter. You're seeing the effectiveness come back in kind of the formula. Only thing that scares me, you touched on it, the home runs he's given up, he's given up a lot of fly ball outs, even in his last four starts as it's gone well. You know the trend here league-wide. It's that some of these balls are not flying the way they were before, unseasonably cold a couple different places. I mean, here in D.C., it was 40-some degrees in the middle of May a couple different times just last week. I worry that if that's a trend line that continues, you're going to start to see some of those balls carry out of the yard and some of the crooked numbers that were pretty bad that we've been talking about here might return. So I'm not all the way bullish, but I would say at this point, encouraging last four starts, yeah? Well, that's where I'm a little nervous because this was the first hot weather day for him where he's pitched and it's been legitimately warm outside and he gave up the three homers. Mm -hmm. He'd given up one in his seven starts before that. But look, I mean, he gave up more... 
hits than any pitcher in the league in 2020. He gave up more earned runs than anybody in the league last year. Right now, he leads the league in earned runs allowed again with 27 through his eight starts. But he's also one of like five guys who's pitched eight innings. He's one of the leaders probably, I would imagine, in terms of how often he's thrown so far, you know, close to 40 innings, um, which, you know, he doesn't go as deep as aces do into games, but he's you know, in the top quarter of the league or so in innings thrown. So I'm not as concerned about him so far leading in earned runs. But I just think he is settled into a place where hopefully he can now be treated as a back-of-the-rotation starter. Yeah. Now, if they spent correctly, like I'd like them to, and they actually went out and acquired a starting pitcher, they traded for another middle-of-the-rotation starter, the types of moves over the years Rizzo has made when he's had the ability to do so financially, then all of a sudden you have Josiah Gray and you have – uh, a rotation a year from now with like him and Cavalli and say two veterans that they brought in here and Corbin's your fifth starter. I'm leaving Strasburg out because I have no idea what's going on with him. Yeah, we need to talk about that. We'll talk about him in a second. But at that point, like that's a rotation I can figure out. I can get behind. Like Corbin as a fifth starter, good enough to go six innings, two runs anytime out. Probably not going to. Probably going to go five innings, five runs a lot. I can deal with that. The problem is when the dude starts on opening day. When he's supposed to be, for lack of a better term, he's not an ace, but the ace of your staff. And Gray has been better, and Fetty is, while inconsistent, had moments where maybe he's a guy in a big spot you'd rather start than Patrick Corbin. So let's say he's been their number three starter ahead of Yoan Adone, way inconsistent, and whoever their fifth guy is, Sanchez Josh Rogers, Rogers or yeah. Aaron Sanchez or whatever. But right now, I think you know he's at least settling into, I can write his name down and not expect it to be embarrassing for him, which for a while it was kind of cringy. It was like, I feel bad for this guy. Every fifth day he's got to go out there, stand all alone in the mound, get rocked, and then come back knowing he's going to do it again in five days. Like That is a lonely feeling. Conversation you and I were having a month ago was, can you keep trotting this dude out there every fifth day and still claim that you're trying to do all the right things as an organization? And let me say this. I don't think I told you this. So we were talking about this on the air at one point, and I got a text from someone who's in the Nats front office. And they said, hey, I'm not trying to gas you up or tell you that Patrick Corbin is, you know, making the all-star team. But they said, look at some of these peripherals. He's been a lot better than his numbers would show this year. And at that time, they were talking about fielding independent pitching, which is like the the part of the ERA you control, not Mm -hmm. the defense behind you. And he's had terrible defense behind him. So That is true, by the way. It's it's astounding the number of errors in his starts. Under... Yeah, his watch, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, this second, his ERA is 6.2. His FIP is 4.2. Just two runs difference That's casually. That's a pretty major thing, yeah. If he had a 4.2 ERA, the conversation about him is really, really different. He'd be leading the team, and we'd be doing spin kicks at this point. So, yeah, I guess here's the parallel it reminds me of. In 2012... Gio was sort of by default your number two because Steven Strasburg was all about him, but Gio's the guy that was going to get the ball to start game one of the playoffs and then start game five as well. He was your 20-game winner. He was your Cy Young candidate. The Gio a few years later was not that guy. He was you know, a guy that was going to frustrate you, walk the yard, you know, you know, hang by the edge of a rope and uh, or on a tightrope, rather, and throw change-ups and sliders and all sorts of things and barely get out of innings or go five innings with you know 130 pitches. But he's still a major league serviceable starter, right, towards the end of the rotation. If you think of him as your number two, you're going to be dramatically disappointed. If we get that kind of deal from Corbin over the next couple of seasons, I'll ultimately say, hey, it was a success. This was just kind of paying the tax. But we got to talk about Strasburg. 
Because when you mention your future plan, I think everybody did the exact same thing. You go, okay, I could see that with Cavalli, maybe Cole Henry. And he comes up and he's real. One veteran starter, et cetera. The big thing hanging over this organization, and it's something I want asked about every single day because it's kind of unbelievable that we're here at this point where the updates about Steven Strasburg are so few and far between, they're so minimal, and it still seems he's weeks and weeks and weeks at best away from coming and pitching in the major leagues when the story in spring training was he'll just need a couple extra weeks to have his normal routine. There's nothing normal about him throwing two innings of batting practice, basically, down at extended spring training, and then we'll see how he feels in a couple days. That's not imminent. That's not May. That's maybe end of June? Question mark? I mean, what is going on with Strasburg? So Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington was on Grant and Danny, which is the daily show we do on 106.7 The Fan. Today we're recording this on Monday, May 16th. And he suggested that Strauss could be in line for the beginning of June, I think is what he said, You know, based on the timelines he and Joe Ross are on. Or sometime early in June. I'm pretty sure that paraphrasing what he said, not putting words in his mouth. I don't see that at all. Me neither. Here's where we're at. I blame the lack of candor and just not being forthright Strasburg kind of got the ball rolling in a way that set him up for failure in terms of the perception from fans and the media on this recovery. And the team is always so private, so vague. They try to give as little information as possible on these injuries as if they're like Mike Shanahan on a Thursday ahead of a Sunday game. They don't want to know, you know, they don't want the defense to know who's in the backfield. I don't get why. I don't, you think it's easier to beat. The, the Astros this week, if they don't know that Steven Strasburg is rehabbing at, at X amount of innings, I, I don't know what the, the thought process is. But the timeline here is thus, and you tell me if, if any of this is wrong. Remember at the beginning of spring training, Strasburg, I think it was him specifically, was quoted as saying, I'm not going to get my body up to speed faster than I normally do because of the lockout. I'm paraphrasing. He said, "Yeah, we can't no, rush this. It's, okay, it's their fault that we were locked out. I'm going to do my thing, mm-hmm. and if I'm not ready for opening day because I need an extra week, because that's what it was. It was a week or week and a half shorter than normal. Mm-hmm. I got to do my normal program. And so that makes you think, if you're a Nats fan, reasonably, I'd say, okay, so two weeks after the start of the season, maybe the second trip through the rotation or third trip through the rotation at worst, Strauss will be ready." That's a reasonable thing to think after he says, "Correct, I'm not speeding up an extra week to be ready for opening day. I need that week to get ready. We went from that to this weird Davey Martinez pr- press conference at one point where he said to the media, hey, after talking to Strauss, we're going to take this slowly and we're going to bring him along at a really methodical pace, essentially. And I'm filling in my own words. To yeah. He wasn't even that candid. But that was kind of the takeaway was he had some conversation with Strasburg in March, he basically said, I'm now going to bring him along slowly, meaning Strauss didn't want to push it. Strauss didn't want to overdo it, which I understand. It's his body. He doesn't want to break down, whatever. But th- this, he's going to make 20 to 25 starts comment. Mm-hmm. If he was going to make 25 starts, he'd be in the rotation this week. That's tonight. Just to get to 25, he needed to be pitching this week. Corbin has made eight. Yeah. We're going through the rotation now for what is basically the eighth time. You make roughly 32, 33, maybe 34 starts max in Mm -hmm. a season. You would need to be in the rotation now to make 25 starts. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. That's the high end of the Davy claim. 
You know what he did this weekend? Supposedly, according to Mark Zuckerman of Masson Sports, I think had this. He threw two simulated innings in Florida. So he's now throwing two innings to live batters simulated. He needs to, to be throwing six innings of sim batters, 90 to 100 pitches. Then in games, rehabbing multiple times over. Probably one of them, you know, getting up to speed, throwing every fifth day two or three times in the minors. We're weeks away from weeks. seeing him. And and here's here's where I, I come in. You you kind of paint this in a way where they where you, you think they're keeping it close to the vest or trying to stay private. I think that's always been a huge part of it and a frustration. Well, it, it annoys for me. Yeah. For me, I, I don't I, I think it's mistakes. I think it's misevaluation I, I, in, in a lot of cases. Now, I'm sure there's some where it's where it is trying to keep it close to the vest, and I think it's some kind of combination they're in. But to me, the worst thing that can happen, regardless of where this falls out, is an expectation that isn't met. We're just sitting here waiting for information. We're just waiting for the nugget. We're waiting for the, for the info. If David Martinez, Mike Rizzo, Steven Strasburg, whoever, whatever, basically go, hey, July is our target. And we're not in July yet. Nobody's pissed off, right? If if they said we need to take this slow because the track record of this injury is not very good, this surgery, we have not had guys bounce back. Our best medical practice here is to take this incredibly slowly, try to build them up, not rush him back. We've got him for five more seasons. We need to make damn sure that he is ready to go and he is Steven Strasburg again because we're not going anywhere without that $35 million for the next five years on our payroll doing what he's paid to do. Nobody's mad right now. I don't think. But because it's, I need two extra weeks. And here we are, eight turns of the rotation through, basically eight weeks into this thing, rapidly approaching to June, and he ain't close. That's when people like me and you and I think a lot of fans get really frustrated by that, right? Well, the, the, to me, there's nothing worse. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. The, to me, there's nothing worse you can do to a fan base and people that follow your team closely than to set an expectation and not meet it. I, I think that's always just the worst thing to do, and they seem to do that with injuries an awful lot. This is what they've done for years with yes. injuries, and they do so many things well, and I give them credit for all those 100%. things. 100%. I think they're one of the best-run organizations, not only in D.C., but in baseball and some of the things that they do. But one of the things that they do poorly is injuries and returning players to health and keeping them healthy, and on top of that, just disseminating injury information. If a guy gets hurt in-game, you can just bet on it that you're getting nothing during that game as to what was going on. Uh, specific to Strasburg right now, though, to your point, don't tell me, and this is Stras more than the team, uh -huh. but when he came out and did the, like, I need that week basically to be ready, that makes you think we're seeing this guy in early April. Yes. That sets you up for failure from a fan standpoint. Fans expect something that then doesn't happen. So even if all along he knew and the team knew, He's not pitching in April. He's not pitching in May. He might not pitch in early to mid-June, let's say, hypothetically. Just say that. Yeah. Because when the fans get angry, they start asking the media. The media's job as a conduit to the fans and the team is to then ask those questions. It's a pain in the ass for the ball club. So I don't understand why even, let's say, selfishly from their own perspective, mm -hmm. they want to deal with it. Because you'll get a column from somebody who's going to, you know, bash, like the Where is Street Steven Strasburg column. You'll get radio segments from us. And by and large, they don't care about that stuff, but it's unnecessary. There's going to be enough times exactly. where you're going to deal with stuff. It's aggravation that they yeah. don't need. Yeah, I, I'm it, with you. I, I just, I don't understand why they've been so vague on this. And if, if they just came out and said, 
he's going to be back hopefully right before the All-Star break or you know let's revisit this again in June. We're 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 bringing him around mm-hmm. slowly. We need to make sure when he comes back he doesn't miss another start. Let's talk about this again in June and see where he's at. Then at least it buys them 2 months. It gets everyone thinking on the timeline of okay, this is a longer term thing. The way they did it was not that. And Davey said potentially 25 starts. After Strauss made yeah. it seem like he might miss a trip or two through the rotation initially. So the 25 starts then has me thinking, all right, if this works out well, he's going to be pitching in mid-May. Well, here we are. It's May 16th, dude. He is nowhere near pitching. And here's a- another point. And, and listen, the-, the baseball ops folks have to worry about you know fielding the best team, figuring out who the who the best players are and how they can acquire them and develop them. By and the so way, on. it did sound like, because that Davey comment I referenced was from a Jesse Doherty story uh-huh. in the Washington Post where he, he said, I just talked to Strauss. We're going to take this slow. It kind of sounded like what he was saying was, this is what Strasburg wants to do. Mm-hmm. Not like this was our plan, but hey, this is how we're going to go about this. This was post-conversation with Strauss. So I wonder how much of it is maybe he's nervous or who knows. But they're just trying to do right by the player. Yeah, where he's like, I don't feel right. Like, the, you know, that my velocity isn't there. It doesn't feel a certain way. I, I get that. But again, it's it, it's the, the expectation not being met, I think, is frustrating. But I'd also add this. And I'm not encouraging Strasburg to come back before he's ready. I'm not saying the team should rush him or anything else because, again, this is a big-picture thing. This is a, this is with Steven Strasburg, it's a last-place or second-to-last-place team. Without him, it's kind of the same. I'm not saying anything in terms of, of, of rushing, okay? But I am saying this. There's You need reasons right now, if you're the Nationals, for folks to want to tune in. Right, Juan Soto is a reason. Josiah Gravy fifth day is a reason. If you're a nerd, you like watching Kiba Ruiz, you know, frame pitches up and 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 catch and throw better than a lot of people maybe thought he could, and take some good abs. You're watching Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz try to tear the cover off the ball, so hopefully they're you know trading they're traded for more good prospects, or maybe even God forbid you sign Josh Bell. But you see where I'm going here, right? Does Victor Robles finally get it at some point, despite you know with with his seven times over revamp swing or his new hand position or his new chef or the new diet or whatever that he started? You need reasons for people to want to come to the ballpark and be excited. What better than the return and the excitement of, you know, World Series hero, the MVP, number 37, the guy that we've paid, the two different times, by the way, with, with an opt-out that led us to the second long-term contract. The huge deal, Steven Strasburg, the the sort of the face of the Washington Nationals baseball uh, you know, for so many years, right? Finding a way to get him back and and setting kind of a target, I think, is is a great way to get fans excited in a season right now that's not terribly exciting. And again, I'm not saying rush anything or, or otherwise, but fans don't like being let down. If it's hey, he's we're looking at July, then we have something to look forward to in July. Right now, what are we looking forward to? Right now, we're we're hoping for a report that he felt fine the next day after he threw to some hitters. For an inning or two, or he got up and threw twenty pitches, but the the icy hot wasn't too hot, and the wind wasn't blowing, and the mound was the right shape, and you know he had his uh, vitamins that day. Like nobody knows anything, and I think that's frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah, totally is. Uh, I wanted to shout someone out real quick. I ended up walking over to the ballpark on Sunday to the Astros Nats game. Wanted to go see Justin Verlander and get a look see at Patrick Corbin as well. And I brought my family. In fact, I, I dropped them off at uh, we did Nats Mass. Mm-hmm. So there's a church like two blocks oh, away it's right there. Yeah, yeah. from the ballpark on South Capitol. Absolutely, right on South Cap. And they do a thing called Nats Mass before the uh, the game where they it's like a speed mass. Mm-hmm. It was in the the. the the priest even like he's like I'll be I'll get you out of here and don't you worry and like he did a five minute homily. Oh, it's kind of fantastic! Funny. Everyone's in Nats gear, you know. So anyway, so I dropped them off and I had to go park the car and I'm going to meet them. But I ended up talking with this family 
that was walking in, and the dad actually listens to the podcast, so hello to him. But he had two sons with him, he had his daughter as well. And these two kids were probably, if I had to guess, like six or seven, and then like 12 or 13 or something. And they were marks for the Nationals. Like these Love two it. kids were so sharp, they, they could be in the booth tomorrow and like break down the team in the game. I was so impressed, so I just wanted to say baseball's alive and well in D.C. But they were asking me about deep-cut players in the system. They're like, where's Rowdy Reed at? <laughs> it was like the catcher who got popped for PEDs yeah. like a couple years ago. And they're like, where's Jackson Reitz, who's a catching prospect, who's no longer in the organization, who I had to look up, was with the Biloxi Shuckers, who's in the, the, the Brewers AA affiliate, hitting like 300. But, I mean, these kids, they're going to go to Fredericksburg. They're telling me about how excited they are for Brady House, and they're asking who's on the Wilmington roster and you know who should I look for on the Senators this year. So was, I was just super impressed. I wanted to shout them out and say uh, that uh, that was fun to meet Very them. Very cool. But they were asking about the, the draft this year. And so the draft is going to take place. I'm going to be on site. It'll be in L.A. again. Um, second year in a row they're doing this on the weekend of the All-Star festivities. So they have the Futures game for the prospects, which is cool. Last year, I got to watch Cade Cavalli touch 103 times uh, in the ballpark out at Coors in Denver. This year, in Los Angeles, Chavez Ravine Dodger Stadium. Uh, they're going to have the Futures game. But before that, the day before, they're going to do the Major League Baseball draft. The Nats, for the first time in forever, Danny, because they were so bad last year, are picking fifth. And so it's going to be nice for them to be in the top five because you have a chance to add an elite-level prospect. It's not like you can't get great players in the 20s. The Dodgers find a way to do it all the time. But it is a lot harder. And so they struck gold with Cade Cavalli, it seems like, out of Oklahoma in the early 20s. They've obviously hit on some players back into the first round. But they've, you know, Carter Keyboom in the, in the late 20s. Like, there are guys that they've missed yeah, on Yeah, it's a lot well. more Eric Fetty than it is, uh, I don't know, Alex Bregman. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah, who went second overall out of uh, LSU. But uh, I bring up the draft because they pick fifth. I've been talking on my uh, MLB show to a lot of the prospects who could be going in the top five. And uh, there's some names being linked to them in mock drafts here recently. Uh, Brooks Lee, shortstop, whose dad coaches him at Cal Poly, probably going ahead of Washington. Could be the pick if he's there, but I'm thinking maybe two to the Diamondbacks or three to Texas. One guy that's mocked to them a lot right now with local ties, which would be really cool, is James Madison University outfielder Chase DeLauder. This kid can swing it, man. It's a beautiful left-handed swing. He has huge power. I don't think the hit tool is necessarily there in terms of like being a big-time batting average guy. He can hit in college, obviously, and he'll hit plenty at the big league level. But it's it's a big-time power profile, corner outfielder, 6'4", 230. So I, I could see them drafting either him or another college bat. I'll say that where they're drafting, college arms are not going to be really coming off the board in the middle of the top 10 this year. Not a year. great pitching year, right, for up at the top? Not even a little bit. A lot of injuries. A lot of guys have missed the season. I mean, there might be no college arms in the top 10 at all this year. Crazy. Which would be stunning. So you could go high school athlete, but I get the sense they want to add a, a prospect to this system that can move quickly with a little bit less risk. And they went the high school bat way with Brady House last year. Mm -hmm. So it might make some sense to kind of layer somebody that could get there at the same time as him a couple of years from now. House could graduate in like 24 and maybe the college bat you draft this year, whether that's, you know, Brooksley. My favorite hitter in the country is a guy named Jacob Berry from LSU, but I don't think he has a defensive position. He's basically a DH. Plays hitter. He's the best bat in the nation. He's at LSU. He transferred from Arizona. But yeah, he... I'm not sure what defensive position he'll play at an average level in the big leagues. But they draft fifth this year. Big opportunity for them. We'll be talking a lot about the draft as we get closer. We're still 
Not quite, but about two months away at this point. Yeah, and guys will rise and fall. You'll have you know national showcases, whether that's College World Series or regionals, or plenty of opportunities for scouts to you know get eyeballs on some of these guys. And there's some gaudy stats being put up in college baseball this year. There was a um, you know kind of a, a, a short period, I would say, where you know they changed the bats from my era, certainly for safety purposes, and they perform more like wood. And now they're kind of eking back towards some of the the big. Were pop. you pre BB core? Yeah. So okay. our our stuff was dangerous, man. They were the minus fives and and you know, you get jam shot, you hit one three seventy. But it's different now, right? And and you're starting to see some of these guys adjust and some of the trickle downs. It's like anything with the NFL, college sports and, and otherwise, you're starting to see some of the philosophies take hold where some of these dudes are hitting nukes and you've got a bunch of guys in the high teens and twenty homers through, you know, thirty five or forty teen games. It's been been pretty exciting. But there are plenty of bats, it seems like, in this year's draft. All right, we told you we'd have Kevin Franzen on today. He is the brand-new color commentator in his first year with the team, working alongside Bob Carpenter for Masson, longtime friend of ours. So let's get to it. The really good-looking and really poofy-haired Kevin Franzen on Bustin' Loose Baseball. See you later. 